Hey friends, my name's Stevie Taylor. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. My guest today is Sam McNally. Sam is a piano keyboard player, songwriter and composer from Melbourne, um, but has lived in Sydney now for many years. Uh, Stylus, John Farnham, Air Supply, Tim Finn, Tommy Emanuel, Marsha Hines, Richard Clapton, uh, to name just a few of his previous gigs. And now he's a long-time member of Doug Williams in the mix. Uh, I was floored when he told me that he played the piano part on Air Supply's All Out of Love. Um, man, I love that song, um, and I, I had no idea he, he played on that. I think I must have wore that record out when I was a kid. Um, anyways, it was cool to chat with this legend, uh, plenty of wisdom and stories, and I think perhaps the best is yet to come. Ladies and gentlemen, Sam McNally. Cheers. I think we're rolling. Sam McNally. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Thanks for having me, Stevie. Hey, man, too easy. We're in uh, your studio here? Yep. Yep. It's my little cubby house. Yeah. It's sunny Homebush? Yeah. Yeah, cool. So, um, what have you been up to? It's been a little quiet over the Christmas period, and I like that. Yeah. It's a... Usually pretty historically busy time not necessarily for oh, me. right okay no, I, yep. you know people will say that I my Christmases are sometimes pretty quiet and I don't mind that yep um, I like I like the quiet times too had a very busy year yep and uh, I really enjoyed having some some time some time away yeah but a few things on the go a couple of recording things um and some shows coming up that I'm starting to prepare for now. Okay, we can talk about them. Yeah, a bit later. There's always something, you know. That yeah, that's good. It's a funny thing being a, a musician that does lots of stuff because people who don't know you much, they say, "Oh, what are you doing?" And you go, um, "Gee, you can't think of it <laughs> today, or <laughs> was I doing last week, or you know, what are you asking it's me?" It's different all the time, you know. Yeah, so used to that. Yep. All right, man. Let's um. Let's throw it back to to the day one. The beginnings? To the beginnings, yes. Um, are you Sydney-born? Melbourne. Melbourne, yep. Melbourne all the way. Okay. I was thinking about that before you arrived. We're all from somewhere else. Well, from somewhere else. Well, right? not all, but a hell of a yeah. lot of us in the Sydney music community come from somewhere else. Yep, yep. Yeah, I was very much uh, Melbourne. Uh, born in Melbourne and... Went to school in Melbourne, of course, and uh, and grew up into music very much from the Melbourne music scene of the time, you know, late 60s, early 70s. Uh, the days of uh, Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs, um, Healing Force, Fraternity, Spectrum, Chain, Carson... Broderick Smith, I don't know how many of these names you knew. 
you, you know. Billy Thorpe, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was an incredibly great music scene yeah. in Melbourne, you know, when bands used to play three shows a night and live music every night of the week. Yep. It was mad. Yep. So, and plus the overseas stuff that we were hearing. Mm. Cream, Zeppelin, Sabbath. Yep. Allman Brothers. Traffic. And then a little later, Floyd, Jethro Tull, groups like that. Purple, Deep Purple. So all that stuff I was taking in enthusiastically. Yeah. Were Santana. You, were you playing at the States? Well, I started playing in the last <clears throat> few years of my schooling. Okay. 68, 69, 70. And what age is about? 14, 16? 16, 17, 16, okay, I think. Yeah. And in fact, I can say that I, I'm still really good mates with um, three of my old schoolmates who I used to play with back then. We had a school band that started getting, we started getting some supports. We, we supported Chain, we opened for Chain, we opened for Healing Force one night, we opened for Broderick Smith's band Carson, yeah, Carson. Mm -hmm. So that was a big thrill back then, you know, lads from from the suburbs, age 16, 17, and we're doing our 40-minute spot before these guys, you know. Yep, yep. They were incredible times. I mean, everyone wore denim and bearded denim, you know. The whole band would arrive in the transit van and pour out of the van. The roadies would set up the gear and the guys would scoot backstage and... You know, mull up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great environment. It was just fantastic. Yeah. So that uh, that went on for some years, and then I was in a couple of bands that got some momentum. But then I joined the group Stylus at the end of '74. Stylus, which still plays. Yep. And uh, still plays better than ever. Yeah, yeah. Slightly different membership. Yeah, yeah. Jerry, the great Jerry Pentazas on drums. Yep. Um, and yeah, that was a big, that was a big uh, break. Um, for so, the band or for yourself? Well, for me personally, yep. I mean, to, to join Stylus after what was really only, it was only my third year out of school. Right. And by the end of 75, Stylus had a gold album. We right. had two hit singles and a gold album. Right. So the band was like really... Straight off the bat. We, we were doing stuff, you know. We did a massive tour with Sherbet. Um, and uh, then the following years we did much more stuff after that. But So that was a pretty pretty good entry into the into the professional music scene. Yeah. I considered myself very lucky. I do consider myself very lucky. I didn't then. I just went with it. Yeah. I didn't have a frame of reference, you know. You just do stuff and you think this is how it is. Yep. But I, I didn't have to do a, an apprenticeship of 10 or 15 hard years of covers bands and wedding bands and cruise ships and things that, you know, I wouldn't have preferred to do. Mm -hmm. I went straight into a recording band doing original material and making records mm. and touring at a mm. top level. So it was, it was a good life. Yeah. Didn't make much money, but we 
We played what we wanted to play. Did the not making much money thing come from the fact that the type of deal you had, or um, were you didn't have the support that you needed to make the more money, or sales, things like that? I think it was... You know what I mean, eh? Some yeah. people get shitty deals and... Yeah, it was, it was all of that, and it was also very simple things. Management that wasn't real bright, you know. The, I'll give you an example. We go into Adelaide in middle of 1975 with a with a single number three, and we're, we're going into some gig in Adelaide for four nights on a for a fee that was negotiated four months ago, six months ago. Right. In other words, we could have been charging four times as much. Right. You know, a smart manager would go, "Oh, we're blowing that out. Sorry, the band's worth far more than that now." But no, we, we just had... There were some things that happened that were not, uh, not... not the best, in the best interests of the band's financial health, that's mm-hmm. for sure. But, you know, by and large, we, 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 did, we did pretty well. Mm. What we did do was stay true to what... the music that we dug. Yep. You know, we, we stuck by that. We were hardcore with... Because we were in a predominantly white rock and roll pop environment. And what Stylus was doing was getting music that was informed by American black soul and R&B. Right. You know, our favourite bands were Earth, Wind & Fire, The Spinners, Stevie Wonder, Donny Hathaway... Mm. And then Hall and Oates, these are the people we were listening to. Yeah. You know, we weren't we weren't excited by the white stuff at all. Even even a lot of the British stuff that because we used to, you know countdown yep. we used to do countdown yep. all the time and right. it's not a matter of being sneering one's nose at that stuff. It's just that it didn't really for me personally it didn't really turn me on. I just loved the. I love the funk and R and B grooves, you know. Yep. That's really what what picked my ear up. Yep. Yep. And that, you know, um, I do a lot of different types of music, but ultimately that's that's what I love most still. So I've sta- the train stayed on those tracks. Yeah. You know? that's good. <laughs> so I came to Sydney after uh, Stylus um, four albums. In as many years, uh, the third album was released through Motown mm. in the States. And we were, there was a period of time there where it looked as though things were going to go seriously. Um, we had. Was this, sorry, was this when Motown was in Detroit or when it had moved? Oh, good question. I'm really not sure. What year did they move to LA? It was, oh. it was 76. It was 78, I know that for a fact. It was early 78. It might have been after they moved to LA, actually, I think, on, on reflection. But what happened with that record was we got good trade magazine reviews, Cashbox, Billboard. Mm. I've still got the stuff. I've got Yeah, yeah, cool. You know? Yeah. You can imagine what a thrill that was. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, we, we make a record in Australia... And no less than Motown picks it up. Yeah, it's great. So... How did that come about? 
It came about through, uh, we had moved to Glenn Wheatley Management, mm-hmm. Glenn who had LRB, yep. River Band. Yep. I don't know specifically how he made the connection. I can't remember if I even heard about it. We heard about it. But um, it was because Glenn was looking after us. He had LRB with capital, but somewhere along the way, there must have been some interest expressed from the black soul R&B mm-hmm. side of the music world mm-hmm. fence, so to speak. Um, and you know, one cute thing with that album that went out on Motown, I wish I had a copy to show you, I don't have one. They released that album with different artwork and they had no pictures of the band on the, on the front or back cover because oh. they, they wanted to conceal the fact we were white guys. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Can you imagine that? Yeah, yeah. And the front cover artwork, I'll, I'll dig it up for you um, after. Yeah. Know, send it to you. Yeah. Uh, it's got a, a mask. Yep. So they, they played this game of concealing the fact we were white guys. Right. White Australian guys at that, you know. Couldn't go look it up on the internet either. No, that's right. <laughs> and so we, I think we got a little bit of radio play. But then what happened was there were big write-downs with the company, with the parent company, and a whole lot of the labels were dropped. And the label we were on, which is Prodigal, got axed. So the thing was over as, as quick as it got up. Yeah. So close but no cigar. Right. And then we did a, a fourth album here in Australia with EMI, and that was an even better record in a sense, or at least as good. But the wind was out of the sails by then, and we just... We just lost the will, mm-hmm. you know. We lost. We weren't. Um, we weren't doing so so great with gigs in terms of momentum and crowds and, frankly, the money thing. We weren't. The singles weren't. We weren't getting hits. We weren't getting hit singles. We were doing good albums, but we weren't getting singles hits. Gotcha. It came. It came down to that. Yep. We still did countdown with each new release couple of times two or three times so we were getting we were the band was known massive good reputation 78 we did we opened for George Benson cool you know that classic band the, the Breeson band not not with Harvey Mason mm-hmm. unfortunately he wasn't on board but but all, all the rest of the guys were so you know that was a major uh, a big thing for us to do six shows with Benson, uh, but we weren't getting the, the sales, we weren't getting the hits. Mm-hmm. And then with the Motown thing falling over, we basically walked away from it. You know? Yeah. But the band never split up, we just stopped. We stopped, yeah. We stopped playing. Yep. And part of the reason was that uh, we were getting, some of us were getting offers to do other things, you know. So I then moved to Sydney at the end of 79 and started playing with Marsha, Marsha Hines. And Mark Meyer, who was the drummer for the <clears throat> last period of Stylus and did the last record with us, he um, he was already with Marsha. Yeah. So I teamed up with That Mark. was the connection there? Yeah, well, yeah. plus we'd crossed paths with Marsha. We'd done shows with Marsha. Okay. We'd done yep. a few shows with her. Yep. She was huge back then. Mm-hmm. 
Massive, absolutely massive. Who was the bass player? Uh, Harry Bruce. Okay. Old mate Harry. Yeah. So um, that was my entry into Sydney. So Sydney was Sydney was always a slightly the slightly bigger town out of Sydney, Melbourne. There's this duopoly, you know, this yep. competition always. Melbourne always considered that it had the slightly hipper music scene, and it still does. Still does, yeah. But Sydney was the New York, if you like, and, you know, true or false, it's all perception. But certainly then, 79, 80, there were some big things coming out of Sydney. Marsha, John English. Uh, I got offered uh, a tour with uh, Mark Hunter from Dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, NZ. Yeah, yeah. Um, he'd just done a solo, his first solo album. What's that called? Do you remember? No. Was it Fiji Bitters? No, I can't remember. I forget the name of it. And I, I couldn't do that for reasons I can't remember. But then I got offered Marsha, so that, so that got me into Sydney. Right. And then I started doing studio sessions in Sydney, mm-hmm. and that was very exciting. Yeah. For a boy from the suburbs. Yeah. You know. And you start to make some sensible money doing that stuff. Yeah. You know? And you get you get really good at the craft. Having to having to go in and play something that you heard for the first time five minutes ago and Yeah. And all the way it, through. Stuck the bottom. <laughs> no mistakes. Yeah. Get it right, mate. Yeah. So I, I you know, I got pretty good at that and um, and the better the better part of all of that was was playing on really good records, you know. Um, but after Marsha, I, I, I was with Marsha for just over six months, and then I got a phone call. It was a real serious phone call. It was from uh, Tommy Emmanuel, and he asked me to join the John Farnham band. Hmm. So I was in northern New South Wales when I picked up that call on my phone answering machine mm-hmm. with a beeper. Remember yep. the beepers? Yep. You'd yep. make a call from a payphone and stick yep. the beeper in and yep. fantastic, you yep. know. Um, would, it would play your messages back. I'll never forget. Sam, it's Tommy Emmanuel. I want you to join the Farnham band. Can you, how, how, how soon can you get back to me? <laughs> so I called him back straight away. I said, mate, I'm on the way back to Sydney now. Booked the flight to Melbourne. Yeah. So that was that was intense. That was fantastic. Um, that was end of the last three months of 1980. Mm-hmm. And that Farnham band <coughs> uh, comprised also <coughs> the great David Jones on drums, who we'll talk about a bit more. Yep. Uh, David was already a, a friend of mine from from Melbourne from earlier years, very good, very dear friend. Uh, Tommy had picked up on David, and I don't know how, I can't remember, but he loved what David did. And we had Barry Sullivan on bass, who was a Melbourne giant, just one of the great bass players, full stop. (laughs) So it was a cracking band, and two female backing vocalists, Kim Collins and Nikki Nichols. 
It was a screaming band, that one. Yep. It was just every single show was went higher than the one before. Farnham. Farnham was just... Yeah. My God. Guy's energy. Hey, what a voice, eh? What a voice, but mm. what a what a focus, what a performance focus. Oh, right. Stagecraft. Right. That slightly, slightly cabaret, sure, but just power, you know. Yeah. And certainty, absolute certainty. And he was having the greatest time because for the first time in his career, he had his own band and it was a great band. He'd never had that before, see, because he'd been just been doing clubs and turning up at a club with a bunch of charts and, yeah. you know, yeah. Russian roulette. Mm-hmm. So that was a very exciting thing, that, and that went through all of 1981. Um, Tommy um, left about mid-year and was replaced by the very, very capable Sam C., who was a... a a whole other energy, but a very good energy as well. Sam was a, a good writer and player, and I saw him recently for the first time in years. It was so good to catch up and have a really good chat. And that band would have continued, except that John got a call. Mm. Everyone gets a call, don't they? Yeah. It's business. Yeah. That phone call happens. That phone call, yeah. Changes everything. You haven't got mine yet, but. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Stay with it. Never change. No, no, Don't no, give up. No, no. So John got a call. Who did he get a call from, do you reckon? Little Wilbur Band. I had to yeah. think about that for a second. Yeah. And uh, it's fantastic how things happen. I got a call. I got a call from John's tour manager, March of 82. Sam, you up, up for doing some more dates with John? I said, yeah, sure, Richard, fantastic. Where you been, man? Thought that thought, thought this was over or something. Mm. I'll get back to you tomorrow with the dates. Gets back to me the next day, not with the dates. Oh, John's joining LRB. Oh. See you, bye. <sighs> <laughs> it's all over. Yeah, just like that again. Huh? Just like that. And no debrief. Yeah. No, no thanks, guys. It's been great. No party, no sort of... Drinks and Just canapes and... Kicking the nuts and off you go. Yep. Sort of, yeah. And, yep. and, you know, I mean, I didn't think of it like that then and I... Yep. And I don't particularly now, I certainly don't overthink it. Mm-hmm. But I was talking to Sam C about this actually and it's a bit interesting because you do feel stuff, you know. It's a bit, it's a bit rough. Would have been nice if there'd been... A polite phone call or two. Right. But hey, it's showbiz. Yeah. And you get on, you get on with it, you move on. Ooh. Um, and I had a very depressing year after that. Yeah, right. I worked with some people I won't bother naming, and mm-hmm. it just was like not bad people, but just this isn't what I want to do. This is not, this is not what I do. Right. Right. This is not... Were well, you just doing that stuff j- just to get paid type thing? Yeah, I was just, of course. just being a professional musician, that's all. Yep. But but after that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because the Farnham thing was a thrill. But yes, yeah. It was a big thrill. Yeah, yeah. We knew we were... This was... 
we did, we opened for Stevie, April '81. Mm. We did Melbourne, Sydney, Perth, and you know no one no one upstages Stevie, mm. but I tell you what, Farnham freaked people out. Yeah, we we freaked everyone out. It was yeah. very strong, you know. Yeah. And Stevie noticed, I can tell you, mm. and he got us up to jam with the band at the end. It was incredible. It was amazing. Yeah. Da- David and I, I have to tell you. David and I went and met Stevie Wonder, David Jones and I. Yeah. And I can't remember how we pulled it off. We were in Perth and we went and uh, talked our way past his security guy. <laughs> we went and sat down with the guy and talked for half an hour in his apartment. Can you imagine that? Yeah. It's trippy. It was absolutely trippy. Nobody else in the room? No. Nope. No. And I distinctly remember thinking that this guy, Stevie Wonder, he's he's in another trajectory altogether. Right. He's just in a good way, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But he's tripped out, man. He's he, he's a space cadet. Right, okay. Right, he's really Oh this is that's the window. <laughs> it's the, the window and the wind. Yeah right. Good sound, isn't it? Scared the shit out of me. It's yeah, right no, it's right weird, weird noise. Just the breeze caught it. Um, maybe it's Stevie. <laughs> He's still alive, though, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but oh, what a what an artist. What yeah, can you oh, say? Yeah. There's no yeah, point yeah. saying anything. But meeting the guy is interesting because you, you know, you you come into the presence of this guy and you you feel his energy and you you just you realise this guy is. In another orbit to right. most yep. most humans. Yep. You can use the word genius, you know. Yep. Genius. A lot of people said that about Prince as well. I, I've got just, no doubt Prince was a genius. Yeah. No question. No, but just on this, he just <clears throat> lived in this other world. And yeah. Head yeah. I think a lot of people <clears throat> didn't understand. <laughs> do you know? Do you know? Here's my example that I heard of. When they were touring Australia, Stevie had. A massive anvil case full of two-inch tapes. Mm. He'd go record after every show. Right. Okay. They'd just hire studios every city they were in. Yeah. Yep, Constantly yep. recording. Yeah. Yep. Amassing material. Yeah. Yeah. Songs. I Songs. think that's fairly common too with a lot of. I think Prince did that a lot too. Yeah. 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 So, point is, there's so much creativity going on with these people. Yeah. It's just unending. You've got to catch it all. Imagine time. the cost of carting around a massive anvil case full of two-inch, you know, those two-inch tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now artists just take the studios with them. Well, of course, the, the, all right, the technology's yeah. changed. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's a hell of a financial investment to make sure that Stevie can record whenever and wherever he he wants. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was great. But the next year after that, so after Farnham. A not great year. Mm. And then I got a call. See? Is that the, the call, call again? Get the call. <laughs> Get the call. Yeah, yeah. From uh, a guy that I'd been doing some studio sessions with called Mark Moffat. You may not know his name. He yeah. was an ex-Melbourne guy who decamped to uh, Sydney, like so many people do. Uh, he was working at festival. And he'd gotten the new Tim Finn album mm. 
from the ends. Mm-hmm. The ends were they hadn't split up then. Yeah. They were still they did their last album after Tim's album actually. But that was a that was a great project to do. Mm. And I I didn't play piano. I played um, synthesizers. Right. Tim played piano. Right. Uh, and they brought in Richard T to play Rhodes piano on a couple of tracks. Uh, but I played on all the beds, on all the basic tracks. Right. With my big synth uh, rig, mm-hmm. you know, three or four or five instruments. Yeah. That was great. That was a, and I felt, I felt like I was back in the game again. I was just, I was being at my creative best. Right. Doing music I loved, being creative with sounds and parts. Because that's, cause that's what I love doing, you see? Mm. Parts, musical parts. Mm-hmm. Rhythmic parts, melodic parts, and and just really feeling like you're contributing to the to the songs and to the recordings. Hey, that's what that's all about. Yeah. That's what you're, doing, you're there for. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great record, and that was that was a very successful record. So I toured with Tim in '86. Uh, a couple of years after that album, there was another album that I didn't do, but. Keeping, keeping with the Kiwis, get another call, Sharon O'Neill. Oh, right. You must, you must remember yeah, yeah. Sharon from, oh, yeah. from back home, right? Yep. So I worked with Sharon for a long time, several different, several different bands and tours and, and eras and albums. Um, she was huge in 83. Yeah, yeah. Like massive. She yep. was the biggest female artist. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was again back into the real big time again. And I, I'd been doing some other great creative projects in Sydney, recording projects. Um, one was a group called the Vita Beats, who uh, Andrew and Lisa Barnum, who are really good friends of mine still. <clears throat> and I had to pull away from that because I got this call. <laughs> it's one of those ones you can't say no to. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so 83, 84, we did a lot of runs with Sharon. We did NZ yep. a couple of times. Yep. We did one three-week tour of NZ. Mm-hmm. It was, I remember it was September. We went down to, um, what's the place down south? In, Invercargill. Invercargill, yeah. We went to Invercargill. Yep. It's the coldest place on earth. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. But that was a good, that was a fun, fun tour. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens when you've got Two things. A good band of good musicians, plus you're doing a ton of shows. Guess what happens? It you just get, gets better and better. Yeah, I was going to say, it gets better. better and better. Because and you get fucking good. <laughs> it's taken, it's, that's right. It's taken me 40 years to work this out, but okay. bands get great when they play a lot. Mm. Songs get well played when they get played a lot. You've got to play them right. Mm. You've got to play well. But... It's a pretty basic uh, uh, principle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you know the big touring, the big touring bands and, and shows where that's why we get knocked out when we go see Whitney or Shaka Khan or John Legend or any of these people, because these people have done a ton of shows. By the time they land here, yeah, they're playing their butts off and yep. they just know the songs inside out and the arrangements are so nicely distilled and yeah. They've messed with stuff and they've 
so-and-so's thought up a great part here and yep. the musical director's hip and he said, yeah, let's do that. And, and the it developed to the endings. The bands and the comps are just All great. that yeah, stuff, yeah, you yeah. know? Yep. You can only get to that when you've played stuff a lot. Yeah. We were talking about Toto earlier and that's mm. what I remember. Yeah. The last... Yeah, the last two tour, I didn't didn't go to this last this last show, but I went to the two before that, and um, it was at the end of their run, and like you said, because the end of their run, and they yeah. they played so much, they were on, man, they were fucking yeah. awesome. But uh, then I I just realised I collided with Tommy Emmanuel again with Sharon. Mm-hmm. Oh, he played with Sharon. Played drums with Sharon. Really? Yes. Fuck. Didn't you know that? I didn't know that. No. Hell yeah. He's a hell of a drummer. Oh, is that right? Okay. So Tommy being the shy and retiring type that he is, there was one run we did, it was Sharon O'Neill and Dragon. Mm-hmm. Imagine how staunch that would oh, be. Yeah. Tommy was on drums with Sharon, then he'd play guitar with Dragon. Right. So moving along, many, many things happened in the 80s. I mean, the 80s was, God, there's a lot of great music in the 80s that, yeah. A, that happened, and B, that in Sydney, Australia, that I had a fair bit to do with, I can say. Yeah. But uh, Tommy asked me to uh, play in his own band. He put his, as far as I'm aware, his first actual band of his own, the Tommy Emanuel Band, 87. 87, 88, <clears throat> we did a bunch of um, shows at the basement. Do you, did you ever see the old basement? Yeah. Uh, what year did you say you first came here? 94. No, it was before. The, oh, right, okay. Because the new basement, the one that... Raby Place. Yeah. Was, yeah, Raby, well, yes, but there was another basement in Raby Place before that. Oh, is that okay? The original one. I didn't the know one that. that you know is not the original basement. Oh, right, okay. There was another building de- literally down the road, down, oh, that, right. down that street. Down that lane. Yeah. And oh. that finished actually at the end of 88, the end of that year. And there was no basement in Sydney like there isn't now. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we won't talk about it, actually. Okay. Um, we'll keep it up, vibe. Yeah. Uh, so Tommy... Did a series of shows at the basement, um, and I was in that enterprise. Boy, that was incredible. One version had David Jones on drums, Leon Gare on bass, uh, Jim Kelly on guitar as well, and several great vocalists. Another version had uh, Mitch Farmer, who you must know. Yep. Mitchell on drums and and uh, Victor. Yep. On bass. I don't actually know. I don't know Mitch. I know of Mitch. Mitchell's. He lives just, around, the, around the corner from me. Just mm. uh, you know, that highest level. Yeah, yeah. You, you should talk to Mitchell. He's mm-hmm. a beauty. Very good man. Very very good musician. Mm-hmm. So you know, it was great to be. To be asked to play with Tommy, in this new thing of his, mm. where, Tommy's such a deep musician. He. He has so much that he wants to say, so much that he wants to present. So this band at the basement in 1988 was like, it was like a musical carnival. I mean, it was insane, you know. Um, just a couple of, trying to think of who else was in it, but Shauna Jensen was up front on vocals. Adrian Payne, 
Rick Price did did some some gigs. Yeah. So it was all singing, all dancing. You know, yeah. it was it was phenomenal. Um, and I suppose as a result of that, I then went on to work with Tommy in. 89, 90, 91, 92, with uh, a slightly more refined version of that band. Yeah, that was the birth of the Tommy Emanuel band. Right. And uh, so what did we do? We a couple of runs, Brisbane, we did some Melbournes, I think. Not so much, not so much Melbourne. It was mainly Sydney. I don't know why we didn't tour more, actually. Probably because Tommy was doing too well in the studios here and didn't right. want to leave town too much. You know? Okay. Yeah. Whatever. But he started recording too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, recording with serious budgets. And he got signed with Sony. Mm -hmm. And I did the first two albums. What were they called? Uh, Dare to be Different. You played on Dare to be Different? Yeah. Right. Dare to be Different was 1990. Okay. Yeah, and that was produced... Did Victor play on that? I can't he, he remember. If, remember either because I'm not sure if Victor was on. He might have been on some tracks, but I think Leon Gare played on most oh, right, of okay. it. Yeah. I've missed something really important, Stevie. Yeah, go back. Heard of Air Supply? Oh yeah. 1980. Right. 1980. I had that. So all out of love. 40, did you? 45, and Lisa's write the words out and just sing it at home. That's me on piano. Really? Yeah. And that's oh, right. fantastic. Yeah. I've been listening to you since I've... I played on that album since and... Since I was five, six years old. Here's the, here's the amazing thing about Air Supply for me. Um, there was a perception that Air Supply were too soft, too cabaret, almost Barry Manilow territory. That, you know, in the rough and tumble of Australian rock pop, Air Supply um, weren't really taken seriously. Can you imagine that? Yeah, that's crazy, eh? Well, it's completely crazy, because you know what happened. That record went absolutely ballistic yeah, in the up. States, yeah. and they did. They weren't seen in Australia again for 15 years, because they were touring, touring yeah. the States. Yeah. So I came dangerously close to being on the road with Air Supply for a very long time. Right. There were two keyboardists on that record. I was one of them, Frank Esler Smith was the other guy, and he ended up being in the live band, and he also... Uh, and and so he should have, very good musician, but he also did uh, uh, arranging. Okay. So they used to use orchestras, small, I think, eight-piece sections whenever they could. Right, and he kind of pulled that stuff together. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I used to see those guys when they'd be back, you know, back in Sydney um, between long American halls, like three-month halls through Boise, Idaho, and yep. Wisconsin and Omaha and back up to Nebraska and all that stuff. Mm. And it was amazing hearing the stories of what, what it was actually like playing stadiums in in the States, one-nighters, you know, tour yeah. buses. Yeah. A real grind, you know. Yeah. I'm good, good shows. Yeah, yeah, but everything... But hard clean. work. Yep. Hard work, not not all glory, you know. Yeah. And do you know if the, the, um, those touring musicians were being paid well? Well, are that's a very... Are you privy to that? I, I can't say I'm privy. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit too discreet, Stevie. I think <laughs> I think they I think they got a modest Right, okay. A modest salary. Okay. 
it, I think it would be fair to say that it was not commensurate with the gigantic success that Air Supply was. Okay, that's what was was. was uh, that's kind of what I was asking. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's your answer. Yep. Um, but it's cute that Air Supply thing because I was much later into the nineties, in about ninety-seven. I was in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, which I've spent a fair bit of time in, and Air Supply were coming through town. Uh, the two front guys, uh, Russell and Graham. And I hadn't seen them for all of those years, 17 years from 1980 to 97. And I just went down to see them and had a hang and it was so nice mm. seeing them and stuff, you know. So they did very well and they're still playing. Yep, yep. They're still killing it, yep. you know. It, but that sort of cultural cringe thing that I suppose I alluded to there, I found that quite amazing and how pervasive that thinking is. Mm. Because I, I I left air supply off my own bio and CV whenever I'd send out stuff, PR stuff. Mm. I just automatically deleted air supply. Hang on, mate, you played on one of the biggest selling records of yeah, the yeah. 1980s. Yeah. Why would you not include that? Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. And it's all just that perception that air supply is not hip or not not groovy, you know? Never work against you type thing. It's strange. Yeah, yeah. Strange. Yeah. But anyway, the, these are the things that happen. You know? Yeah. Yep. It's no big deal. No. I mean, in excess, copped a walloping too. Yeah. They were gigantic. Yeah. And then they got too big. Yeah. And suddenly the darlings of the of, you know, the inner city, Sydney, you know, people turn against them and mm. think that they're... You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's just stupid stuff. So, it was... With Tommy, I mean, I think that I learned a lot about not just music but performance, working with Tommy Emmanuel. Uh, energy, about energy, mm. about focus mm. about every show being killer mm. you know watching that guy he, he without without needing to say a single thing because he had trust in me he brought out the best in me mm. I had to bring my best yeah right every time with yeah. Tommy yeah because the music was so on yeah the time was so on yeah the time yeah especially time and uh, so I became a better musician from five years of playing with Tommy, mm. definitely. And one of the greatest memories I have of, of that was opening for Eric Clapton 1990. Right. We did Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. Six shows. Nathan East. Yep. Steve Ferroni. Oh, was that band? Yeah. Filling Gaines. Yeah, okay. So that's, the 24, that's the 24 Nights band, eh? My God. Yeah. What oh, yeah. a quartet. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd never heard Eric live. Right. I'd missed, uh, I don't know, whatever other things he'd been to Australia with. I'd never heard him live. And I distinctly remember being in Brisbane after we'd done our show. I was out in the auditorium and, and he launches into one of those Clapton-esque sustains. Mm. And I just went, holy shit. And I just went running up the front. I thought, <laughs> i got to watch this guy like a... Like a music fan, you know. Yeah. Just wonderful. Yeah. Filling Gaines. Oh, yeah. What a dancer. Yeah. He's a dancer. He's a dancer. 
Good singer too. Fantastic. What a cat. Yeah. You know his story? Not really. You know his first gig? Stevie Wonder. Stevie called him at home. Right. Someone gave him a tape. Someone gave Stevie a tape of this guy from Detroit. He grew up in Detroit. Right. He talks about it in his uh, master classes. Right. Yeah. He spent years with Stevie. Yeah. 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 So... There's mentorship going on, isn't there? You know, the greats mentor mm. other musicians, and you know, <clears throat> a lot of the a lot of the keyboardists that are that are so important to me that I've learnt from uh, George Duke, yeah, uh, Chick Corea, mm. Herbie Hancock, Chick and Herbie both came up through the Miles Davis School, mm-hmm. George came up through the Frank Zappa school. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I went to see, I first saw George Duke live in Tokyo in 2004. And I was crying, man. I was just overwhelmed. He was there, I was here. Right. At, at the Blue Note. Right. At the Blue Note, mm-hmm. uh, which is like the basement, but slightly more upmarket. Small, mm. smallish. Mm. Maybe a little larger than the basement, but not much larger. Yeah. Uh, I only saw one show. I didn't see repeat shows, but I was just... I knew what to expect. Yeah. I knew it was exactly what I thought it would be. But the feeling of watching this guy who, by that point, I'd been listening to him for... How long? 20. 20 years. Right. 20 years I'd been listening to this guy and for the first time I got to see him play live with all of the energy that that entails mm-hmm. and the personality. No, it's not just the music. It's never just the music. It's the, it's the personality. It's the vibe. It's the fun. Yep. It's the performance. Yep. And you know what I did? I, I was the last to leave the building. Yep. I went backstage. I went back to the dressing room. I got chummy with Shannon Pearson, his female backing vocalist, who was just lovely, incredible vocalist, and a lovely, lovely girl. And I said, can I please meet George? I'm from Australia. I must, I must meet him. He said, oh, sure, sure. Yeah, just sit here and just wait for him to come in. He's doing signing out the front hill. Yeah. And he came in and I said, I went and walked straight up and said, George, I've come from Australia to see you. I've, I've been listening to you for 20 years. You know. It's a beautiful moment. You know? Yeah. Not much else to say. Yeah. Just just all that thing of... Yeah, yeah. See, with, uh, I'll tell my George Duke, it's, not, it's nothing like that, but the first I heard of George Duke was, wasn't through actual albums or anything that he played on, but Native Instruments brought out, yep. brought out that George Duke Treasures. Yes set for contact mm-hmm. and it was in it was in one of the box sets that I got and I'm like and you, pl- you kind of it's all these samples and you can put the samples in different different spots and right. move the samples around so really yeah 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 so down little down and da 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 you know it's got that oh, wow. sound yeah yeah it's really really cool I've not heard I'll that. send you a link to it when I that's when amazing I but anyway so that was my first you know George Duke sounds that I'd heard now, probably 18 months ago, I may, may have said this on a podcast before, but anyway, I might say it again. Um, Kelvin Welsh posted a video up 
of George Duke live version of um, Sweet Baby. Yes. And I cried my eyes out. Yeah. Yeah. I went, whoa. Yeah. Because he just finished this up and he was standing. He was standing up and he leans into the microphone and he goes, "Here we go." And then he starts playing the, just starts playing the the intro to the song. Yeah. And then Steve Froney's on drums. Yeah. In the live band. Yeah. Uh, Lewis Johnson's playing bass. Yeah. And I can't remember who the other other band is, but yeah, I just the the solo in that that piano solo, and he just. Oh, slowly, I think I just, know the version you mean. And he just. Slowly. I think I know the version you mean. So it was eighties. Was eighties? Was it? Yeah, it was an old. It's an old VHS recording. That's yeah, on, on I think YouTube. I know the one you mean. I'll send you the link to yeah, it. Yeah, I think I I saw that. Blew me away. Yeah, just unbelievable. Yeah. He's unending. The, these people that you never get to the end of how great they are. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then I found the whole concert on YouTube. So yeah. I ended up watching all of that. And then wasn't it Japan? Wasn't it? it might have been Japan. I think it was yeah, Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, because he was a major, like he was getting major R and B hits, you know. Yeah. In the early eighties. Yeah, yeah. Early mid eighties. That, yeah, that song. That was big. Sweet baby, yeah, and he had a few with, others too. It was with Stanley Clark, I think. Yes, that song yes, was. it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, so that was my sort of introduction to George Duke. So anyway, back to you. <laughs> Look, he's a major boss. Did you see um, George Duke Stanley Clark at the Opera House no. in '08? No. Um, it was. It's never not going to be good. Mm. Wasn't the best. Right. It was a bit of bit of a lack of not the greatest song choice, I think. Oh, right. It was a bit of bit of filler material in the show. Right, you think they just sort of got chucked a whole bunch of money and it's ah uh, let's just cruise over the I hate to say this. How can I how can I how can I do this, Steve? <laughs> it sounded like they worked it out on the back of an envelope on the, yeah, on the yeah. flight over. It really did. Yeah. You know? Yep, yep. And uh, you know, but here's the thing. It's a good, it's a good thing when you realise that these these giants are not infallible too. Mm. They have shows that aren't their best shows, and like I say, it's never going to be bad. Mm. But maybe that wasn't George at his best. Something might have happened that we don't know about. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. Not going to overthink it. Yeah, but I got a nice picture of me with him in the foyer of the. Opera House from then too. Yeah, that's cool. Massive love, massive, massive affection. And we, we did a George Duke tribute show in 2013. Oh, right. Did you ever go to the Blue Beat? I didn't in, go to the Blue in, Beat, in, no. in Double Bay? No, no. You, you heard about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a wonderful club that Chris Richards from The Basement was Basement, running yeah. for a while. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it, it wound up because of reasons I don't actually know. doesn't matter. But we, end of 20... Because George Duke passed away in 2013, okay. August the 5th. November we did a, a tribute to him, a whole bunch of us, uh, Christopher Zulos on bass, Noel Omoe on keyboards and myself with the engine room of it. We had Dave Plenty on drums, who's a great mate and a wonderful musician. Bunch of good people and uh, that was a special, special show. We rehearsed it for 13 weeks. Right. Uh, Wednesdays, Wednesdays for, I think 12, Wednesdays for 12 weeks. So we nearly got it to that point we were talking about before. Where, you know, 
Yep. But the, the music demanded to be played so well. Otherwise, you know, it's not worth doing it. doing it. Justice. Not all of the stuff is really difficult. Not, not, not at all. Not by any means. But probably 50% of it or more required some real serious playing. Yep. And real serious familiarity, you know? Mm-hmm. So we, I think we got it pretty good. You know, we, we all felt, hey, wouldn't it be great if we had a double header do, doing this tomorrow as well? Mm. If the second show will be that much better. Mm. So... Uh, Could always bring it back again. Well, we've thought of it, but it's it's pretty heavy on the staff. We had a lot of people, a lot of singers. Oh, right. Uh, our brother Craig Calhoun mm. did a couple of songs. Yep. Barry Leaf mm. was in the vocal team. It's pretty heavy. Okay. Big numbers, you know. Mm. A lot of people to coordinate. We've talked about it many times. How, how can we put on that show with, you know, half to two-thirds as many? Oh, right. Yes, it's possible. But uh, it's still, still energy intensive to pull off something like that, you know. You've got to be able to fit it in amongst other things that you might be doing and, you know. Yeah, that's the thing, eh? Yeah, otherwise if it becomes too hard, you just go, no, I don't want to do it because I know that I'm not going to be able to get chunks of time and energy to, to, to bring it to the level that I really want it to be yeah, at. Yeah, fair enough. You know? Yep. So it's a, it's a hard call, that one. Yep. Who, who are some of your other... Um Influences, keyboard influences. Uh, well, many, many people, of course. Those people I named uh, enduring influences. Mm-hmm. Forty years plus. Yeah. You know, you'd think I'd move on by now, wouldn't you? Why? To me, they're still the best. Why? Yeah, yeah. I pull up stuff on YouTube now of Herbie from from I don't know three years ago, 2015, 16, or or maybe 2005. And I'm still staggered. Yeah. I'm still learning stuff from this same guy. Yeah. And I'm hearing newer people like Robert Glasper and um, a man from uh, you know, groups like Snarky Puppy. I'm hearing all this stuff. Yeah, they're cool. They're cool. But I'm not hearing anything that's beating, beating these guys. Right. Really. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a competition. Mm-hmm. There are some other truly great jazz pianists that I hear sometimes. But I, I like um, I like the funk R and B people, the dedicated funk R and B people. Filling Gaines is just the penultimate uh, rhythm section guy. Right. Just the perfect stuff. Yep. So for me, as a musician, if I'm talking about jazz guys, I spend a very very small percentage of my musical life doing jazz or jazz fusion or jazz funk most of my musical life I work with singers mm-hmm. obviously right? it's pretty obvious but guess what, I love it so my job is to make the environment for the vocal the best that I can Yeah. and that's what I take pride in doing um, so to answer your question you know, I listen to a lot of Good playing in good ensemble parts. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't think of any. 
I can't think of a lot of names other than someone like Phil and Gaines, but so many good records I've heard over so many years where I hear the parts. I hear the parts that are going on and I think that's cool. Mm. That just works so well. And I think that I've been influenced by that a great deal, you know. Um, you know, the working with singers thing is, is, is big for me. I, I get incredible pleasure working with people like Diana and Joe Elms and Prenny Stevens and Simone Waddell and Mitch Anderson. I just, man, I'm in heaven when I'm playing behind these people. Mm. Because I want to be a singer, but I can't. So <laughs> That's cool. I can't sing. Yeah, yeah. But but I'm I'm living that. I'm I'm. I'm actually, experiencing experiencing that vocal. You, do you know what I'm saying? I, I do. I do. I think everyone responds responds to voice. Yep. Don't they? Mm-hmm. That's a real truism with with music. So. As a musician, I respond to voice, and so I spend I spend a lot of my musical life um, thinking about songs and, and music, and that's why we're doing the show a couple of weeks. Yeah. My favourite songs. <laughs> it's literally that yeah. that thought. Oh, bubble. this is your this is your yeah. show. Yes. Yep. Well, I want to do a show with my favourite songs with these people. Huh? Hang on, I'm just picking up the fly. <laughs> <laughs> so got- because because you know we'll we'll do some some favourites, yep. some things that we've played lots that are just really fun to play. Yep. But a really good, a really good song list, you know. Tell me about L.L. Smith. Laura Lee Smith is part of the Doug Williams band. Oh, okay. We haven't even right. talked about Doug yet. Yeah, yeah. I need to give him a serve. For sure. Um, she's wonderful. Yep. She's um, a new girl on the block, okay. comparatively. Yep. Sings beautifully well. Fantastic band person. Uh-huh. Just... We have another great girl too named Sarah Mono, who's also great. Mm-hmm. You know, people that are people that can be part of a band and and really work with a band dynamic are, are very special people. You know, yeah. Th- th- these are some of the best musicians, the people that can do that. Yeah. You know, they're not um, they're not me first. You know, mm-hmm. but. Can I talk about Doug Williams? Yeah, I was about to say, let's talk about Doug. So that's the first time I... Well, we hadn't met after, until today, but that's the first time I saw you because I used to go out and see John play because John and I... Mates. Johnny. Yep. Such a good boy, Johnny. Yep. He, he plays... Hey? He plays so busy... Oh, yeah. Yep. But it's so great. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, I heard someone comment on... Not on him, but on so-called busy drummers... Drummers that play a lot, yep. as opposed to drummers that you know yep. might might be your, your pocket, pocket a little bit more. Yep. And the thing that this someone said was that if the subdivisions are accurate and beautiful, yeah, it's just yeah, yeah. How can it not work? You know, it. of course, there's got to be artistry in that yeah, as well. Yeah. But Australia's Vinnie Colliuta, that some people call him, eh? Johnny. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. He's fantastic, all right. He's fantastic. Yep. I, I just so enjoy playing with John and, and I always compliment him because he, I wouldn't say he doesn't have confidence, but he's not, he's not cocky. Yeah. Not at all. Indeed. He's pretty humble about what he does, you sure know. Is. And if anything, I rev him up by saying, you killed it, Johnny. You know, it's just, 
So I think John uh, owes a lot in his musicianship to playing with Doug Williams for a yeah. long time. Yep. Because that is a great drums and bass combination too. Oh, yeah. Huh? Yep. Dougie doesn't, certainly doesn't overplay. Mm-hmm. And the time thing is so on. Yep. And the, All the, the time. are on, the accents are on. So on. Yep. Every yep. time. Yep. There's no doubt where the time is. Yep. And uh, so... So listen to the Johnny Adams episode, people, if you haven't. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good, yeah, it's a good, it's a good one. one. That I, that's the first one I heard. I yeah, really yeah. Enjoyed that. Yeah, enjoyed what he had to say, and of course he learned a massive amount from Mark too, Mark Kennedy. Oh yeah. See, I used to see, I used to see Mark back in like seventy three. Okay. Just way, way back, you know, right. in Melbourne. Yeah. But no, Doug, Doug is just such a great musician and and singer. And front man. This is the other thing that he's got. He's got, he knows how to talk to an audience because he, he, he brings that that legacy of that uh, Amer- American black soul uh, showbiz thing. Mm-hmm. It's, he has that in, in droves naturally and he's morphed that into his own way in Australia and he's been here a long time now so he knows how to he knows how to front any Australian audience Mm. so I've been with Doug for very very long time and he's now a member of Stylus too oh really yeah right he's been playing with Stylus since 2015 right okay so it's yeah, that's 2012. That old oh, person. that picture. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's that's before he joined the band. That's right. that's the original bass player, right. Ashley Henderson. Okay, who's who's no longer able to play with us, unfortunately, due to health reasons. But um, I mean, Doug and I have such a good relationship, such a such an easy relationship. We just we just never ever have. It's what you want. <laughs> we just never ever have a problem. Yeah. I mean, we just don't. You know, I mean, sometimes crazy stuff happens. Just music, music, music business stuff. I mean, happens that means we have to discuss some things. But there's never, never yell at each other. Yeah. Never ever. Yeah. I can honestly say I've never ever had uh, an unpleasant conversation with a guy. Yeah. Good. Just haven't. Maybe it's me. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I've got a problem. You don't, you don't need to yell at people. Yeah. You do, and I think, actually, you need to not yell at people. Yeah, okay. I, th- I seriously think that, um, you know, being... If I'm a successful musician, then part of, the, part of the trick is being nice to people. Being nice and genuinely nice, not faking it. Yep. Uh, getting along with people. It's pretty basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can figure out how to do that, you'll have a long life. You yeah. Know. But Doug's an easygoing guy, man. He just, you know, he, he doesn't he doesn't do stress. He doesn't yeah. get stressed. Yeah. I mean, I wish he'd work harder sometimes. You won't mind me saying that. Hey, I'd like to push myself harder too. Mm. 
This is part of the problem with Australia, isn't it? It's a, it's a comfortable life here. Mm. We don't have to work that hard here. Yeah, right. Yeah. Don't you think? Yep. So you can you can get away with a lot of stuff here and not work too hard, not stress yourself. No, I don't mean stress, but you, you really have to push yourself to be incredibly excellent. Right. Here, you know. Mm. Um, where perhaps you know, living in New York or LA, you'd you'd be surrounded by so much brilliance that you, 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 by default you'd you'd have to rise to that mean average. Mm. You know, I, I don't want to pitch here against there. Yeah. That's a that's an old argument. That's an old rave, you know. But uh, Dougie's great. He. He's just got a groove like no one else, and he's just a heck of a singer. Yep. I mean, I I don't think I know a male singer that sings yes. quite as consistently well as he does. If I've done 300 gigs with Doug, I've never heard him sing off key once. Right. Seriously. That's impressive. He just he just can't sing out of key. Yeah. Off key, you know, and he never oversings. He sings the song every time. Yeah. Now um. You've got a Mark Costa story, have you? Oh, it's no big deal story. Oh, yeah. You'll love this. Yeah. When I started playing my own music, <clears throat> I'll just do a bit of backtracking. Yeah. I did my first album in 1981. Came out in 82, mm-hmm. called First Chance. I wish I could give you a copy, but I That's don't have... This, this is my fifth album, this one. Okay. From 2005. Yep. Um, David Jones is on this first album. There's some pretty... Pretty hefty jazz fusion explorations mm. on this record. Um, it would be another ten years before I would dare to play my own music live. Does that sound strange? Mm, a little bit. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just, it's just confidence. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realise it. Right. I just, I just thought, no, no, I don't want to play my own stuff. It's, okay. No one wants to hear. No one wants to come and hear me play. 10 or 12 compositions of mine. Right. Yeah? Mm. That thing. Yep. So early 90s, I released an album called Spellbound on a label, what was it called? Through, through a major, through a major label. I forget who it was. Um, but Chris Richards at The Basement gave me a few dates. Couple of dates. Mm. Thank you very much, Chris. I got Marky Costa to play the bass. Mark turns up to my apartment in Glebe to run down the tunes. Not a scrap of paper. He just knew them all in there. In the head, yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. I couldn't believe that. Yeah. Not just the fact that he knew the stuff and he remembered it, but that he liked the music enough to bother to sort of that it was easy for him to remember it. Mm-hmm. And and again, I didn't overthink it at the time, but I just thought, hey, that's pretty cool. Maybe this stuff... And he would have no clue about this, but he probably gave me a real lot of con- extra confidence. Just that, you know, one of the musicians that's going to play with me uh, thinks this stuff's pretty good. That was very nice of him. Yeah, that's cool. So I really love that... Uh, Attention to detail, you know. Mm. 
But you know, there are other people that are that are good like that too. Peter Northcote's like that. Mm. He's that sort of musician. Peter's just he'll you give him some music to learn, he'll 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 be all over it. Right. You know? It's wonderful. Yeah. You know, learning learning music is a bit of a thing. Learning songs, um, and it's something I've I've kicked my own butt with a bit in the last couple of years. If I've got a repertoire to learn, learn it. Learn it properly. Make sure, you know, timeline it. The date's then. It's a couple of weeks down the road. You've got enough time to get in and out of this stuff. Yep. Play it lots of times. Look at the charts. If there aren't charts, make your own. Figure it out. Get the keys sorted and do it. You yep. know? It's a bit of work. Yeah. It's a bit of work, but mm. it's very satisfying when you... When you know that you get on that gig and you're on top of it. Yeah. You know, some things are harder than others, obviously, you know. So, uh, 90s, you know, after after being with Tommy, I then, Tommy relocated to Melbourne and started using a different band, a Melbourne-based band. I started doing a lot of other own projects, you know, just things of my own, like playing at the basement. And the basement was very important to me um, because for my own music, I don't think there's a another venue that I would have played more times than the basement. Probably done 25 gigs there, right. doing my own stuff. Yeah. And that, it might sound odd, but it's a very different deal playing your own music than playing someone else's music and you're the side man. Mm. It's a very different psychology, you know? And um, you get nervous. You get edgy, you know? What if no one turns up? Yeah. We had a, we had a good one um, one time, uh, I think it was 95. Chris Richards, uh, he won't mind me saying this if he's listening to this. He decided to put Henry Rollins on before me, right? I know, it was either Monday. In his Tuesday. band or was it talk, doing his talk? Uh, just solo. Just a solo. Yeah. Right. So you got you got Sam McNally and his band doing the jazz fusion thing. And then you got... But, but, but you got Henry Rollins before that. <laughs> How do you reckon that's going to fly? Yeah. yeah. Right? So what can I say? All right, Chris. But here's what I thought, here's what I, what I think is really funny in, in hindsight. I thought I, I, I thought, I went glass half full with the thing. I thought, well, you know, he's going to have a full house. So maybe just maybe, I don't know, 20% of his people might just hang around for my show. Yeah. You know, that's good. That'll double my crowd. Not, not one Henry Rollins, Punto stayed. The room was completely stripped bare. So we went. We went on two hours late and to about seven people. Right. It's great. <laughs> but you know that's okay. Yeah. This is the stuff that makes you strong, Stevie. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. So I did, did a lot of basements, um, with various configurations of my band. Very often with a singer, a guest singer as well, because yeah. I love the vocal component. Um, Peter, Peter was on guitar more times than not. 
Marky Costa on base a lot of the time. David Jones played sometimes when he was available. And Davey started working with James Morrison then. Mm -hmm. So he was, he got real busy. Mm. No, sorry, not James Morrison. Um, uh, this Don, Don Burrows, right. who meant that word again, mentor. He mentored James Morrison. Right, okay. So um, we had some good nights at the basement, definitely. Got loud. There's no folk review, I'm telling you. Yeah. It was a. Did you ever hear the Dave Weckle band mm -hmm. in that early 90s? Um, or, uh, no, sorry, late 90s, no, no, early yeah, 80s. Yeah, yeah, I went and saw the Synergy album play when the Synergy album came out. This Weckle, um, uh, Mark Kennedy playing bass. Brandon Fields is playing saxophone. It's <coughs> killer. It's killer stuff. Buzz, Buzz. Buddy Fenton. Fenton. Play really? guitar, that's it, yeah, yeah. Is that that's right? it, yes. God, and, um, I know he played with I think Weckle. I've even told this story before. <coughs> But yeah, um, I got I got wind that they were coming to town, and I think I was one of the first people to call and book tickets. So me and my Bang mate, in front. right smacking Dave's bass drums right there. Yeah. So all night, right yeah. there, you know, could see him up just through there, and Mark see him doing his own mix. Does his own mix, yeah. How this, fanatical this is, is that back guy, with man? with the old, the giant Yamaha. Yep. It's, it's very compact yep. now. Yeah. Um, but I think he's always done that. Didn't he send out, did he send out a stereo pair for the house? Is that what he, not, how not, he used to do it? Not sure. Or maybe four or something. Yeah, not sure. I mean, what a, what a perfectionist that guy is. Oh, yeah. Huh? Yep. Just, the reason I'm, he comes to mind is that, you know, I mean, my, me and my group, I'm not going to say we're as good as as, as Weckle, but but we were playing in the same environment anyway, and you know it's the basement, and we did Melbourne, we did the continent. What was it called? Uh, continental, not Continental Cafe in Melbourne. Um, we had a big fat sound. Mm. You know? It was strong mm. like that, and. Uh, you know, so I remember seeing Weckle at that venue in Melbourne, and I think it was the the best the best sound I'd ever heard. Right. Certainly for an instrumental band. Deep right. Yeah. It was so fantastically good sounding. Yeah. Loud. Yeah. But clean. But clear. Yeah. And just the, the the frequencies were just magnificent. Yeah. It couldn't be better. Yeah. It was absolutely hi-fi. So I mean, whatever whatever heights. I might have been able to get to with me and my band. That that was the benchmark. Yeah. Right. That was the stuff that 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 was exciting me that yeah. I was listening to. Yeah. You know, and yeah. all Marky Costa and all yeah. these pe people that were with me. We listened to that stuff. We listened to some pretty serious stuff. You yeah. know. Yeah. And it can't not have an effect on your own sense of. Of bringing your best, you know. Sometimes, sometimes your own confidence becomes a threat. Right. I, I, I wrote that down as a as a thing I wanted to talk about because 
<clears throat> confidence is a real thing and uh, if you reckon you never have any doubts in your own confidence you're probably lying you know you're probably fooling yourself on the other hand it's it's healthy to recognize those moments or or that part of the self which might trigger a lack of confidence um, what I've learnt in, in, in my story is that it's a very 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 long and very gradual upward curve a growth curve mm -hmm. to reaching a point of um, where you're pretty good you're confident you you might you might feel pretty pretty edgy before you take that stage to do your own show, mm. but something else kicks in. Something else kicks in, and I'm I'm really fascinated by that other thing, mm. that thing that kicks in, that that says it's showtime, we're on, mm. bang. And uh, there's a few times in recent years where I've laughed at myself where I realised I'm not feeling very good. I'm not feeling this at all. I, don't re I really don't want to be on stage in half an hour. Mm. I want to go home. I want to go shopping. I'm not digging this at all. If I could cancel this show, I would cancel it now. Mm -hmm. is this, am I going mad? What is this shit? You know? It's just stupid. But the downbeat, off we go. Yeah. And it's, it's, all, it's all good. It's all, yeah. It's not only good, it's, it's great. And something in my mind happens where I go, see, you doubted yourself again. When are you going to learn that what you're doing is good, what you're doing is for the right reasons, and you've got your great people with you, just enjoy the ride and, and do your best. Yeah. And you know what? I had a wonderful conversation with Tommy last year, I think I mentioned, 2018, August. We talk for two hours and it was the loveliest conversation I've had with Tommy Emanuel in the in the in the how long have I known him nearly 40 years yeah 40 years yeah. 79 I first met him yeah the best conversation we have ever had by a long margin we talked about a bunch of stuff you know kids babies families travel Australia America guitar piano different musicians he played some things in his room I was in his hotel room yeah just the two of us mucking around I didn't play I didn't have an instrument I didn't want to play I just wanted to listen to him but I but I threw a question at him at him um, just just dropped into my head I said do you ever do you ever feel unconfident do you ever do you ever not are you ever do you ever feel I think the word I used was awkward do you ever suddenly find yourself feeling really awkward and you just don't know how you're going to be on the stage in five minutes? And he sort of laughed it off and said, no, not really, but I think he was lying. I think, he, I think yes, of course I do, mate. But, you know, he, he, he throws it off yeah. very quickly and yeah. dispenses with it. We all have moments of... Delicateness, yeah. fr fragility, right? We're, we're human beings. We're, they're, they're things, 
there are things going on in our lives there 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 are things that I don't understand there are feelings that I have that I that make me uncomfortable sometimes and a guy like Tommy he he specializes in being that that showman that show pony when he hits the stage it's on for young and old man like like no one like no one can do not only is he obviously a, a musician of, of of immeasurable skill and, and talent and, and diversity and so much more but he's also a showman you know in a natural way I mean I'm not a scintilla of what he is as a showman but I've picked up some stuff I've picked up a way to talk to an audience to feel good on a stage to to get a sense of momentum with a show with a run of songs I've learned all, a lot of that stuff from Tommy mm. you know and I, I didn't realise that that I'd learned so much from him until recently I started thinking about it a bit more yeah you can't not learn if you're if you're doing shows with a, with a great showman like that. You you learn stuff just from watching, Ooh. just from being there. It's beautiful. I've got a book I'm writing. Ooh. It's very far advanced. It's uh, it's about twenty two chapters. So I can't give you a delivery date yet. <laughs> it's it's there's a bit of editing to do. Yeah. But it will it will happen. I, I I'm very enthusiastic about it. I think some of the stories I've come up with are fun, funny, interesting, sometimes quirky, and just a lot of stuff, just a lot of content. You know, I've put up quite a few grabs on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen any of them uh, over a period of about five years, actually. Okay. That's how long it's been in, in process. Uh, and it's good that I did that because it gave me a real sense of people's interest in, in the stuff that I've got to say. Yep. Huh? Yep. Because really I was quite amazed by the comments and the amount of, the amount of commentary and the stuff that people was... The stuff that people were saying. Yeah, it can really feed you, eh? That's for sure. Pardon? It can feed you, that's for sure. Definitely. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. And it's just... It's it can just... bury you as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 I suppose. Yeah. I mean, this is the conundrum of social media, exactly. isn't it? Yeah. You say stuff and it's Russian roulette. Absolutely. You, you're going to get some approvals and likes and you're going to get some... People who might go you about this or about that, it's okay. Got to be a big tough guy, you know. Yep. It's um, sometimes it's hard to filter that stuff out, and sometimes you just tire of it. You just don't really want to. Yeah, that's it. But uh, you know, my feeling about <clears throat> the age we're in now, the technology age, I think on balance. There's much more good than not good, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think you you can promote yourself more easily now than ever before. 
you can find you can find a market. You can find people that are going to like what you do more easily than ever. Yep. But you've got to be you've got to be hip with it. Yeah. You've got to be hip, uh, and you you've got to be attentive. You've got to work hard. You know. One quick last thing, if I may. Of course. Music education. Yep. Big part of what I do. Oh, you teach? Yep. Absolutely love it. Yep. I learn so much. And the most unlikely things, you know, some piano student that can barely play C major, one hand, one octave, asked me about a chord. C7, has it got the, <coughs> is the 7 on the top or is it down there? Just a simple question like that. Ooh. There's 10 minutes of explaining. Well, you can do it like that or you can do it like that or... Now, this sounds good, but this actually works better because if this chord comes after it, see how good that sounds, those voices? Ooh. Or maybe something far less complicated than yep. that even. Yeah. So many things. Yeah. So many things. And... Uh, for two years now, I've been doing a bit of work at um, JMC Academy, mm-hmm. which is just a, a fantastic music school. It's so good. It's 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 moving fast. Uh, it's you know it's a lot of forward motion, new things being planned, and I've been putting on shows there. I've, uh, some of the funnest some of the funnest things I've done have been putting on. Uh, one of these uh, lunchtime concerts. Oh yeah, and this is such a hoot because yep. oh yeah, I've, I've seen you put these up because because uh, it's so good to put on something really good for the students, you know. Yeah, and they love it. Yep. And I've been doing a a Q and A a Q and A component too, so that I ask some curly questions of the the incoming guest singer. You know? That's cool. And uh, we're 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 having talks about putting on more events there. That's know, great. And some some real big people. That's good. I can't name yet. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, so it's really it's really good. But my own thing with music education goes back a long way. I back in the nineties, I used to do stuff with Oz Music, which was a Victoria-based initiative that had a, a branch in in Sydney. Um, I did a couple of years at AIM, which was very good as well, 2014-15. And after I went to China in 2016, to Shenzhen, China, to open a music school there, I came back and uh, immediately started working at JMC. So I just love it there. That's great. We haven't even talked about some of my favourite cities around the world. Yeah. That'll have to be another... Part two. Yep. Always time for part two. It's... For me, I'll just say this, travel, everyone's different. For me, travel is a non-negotiable. It's absolutely integral in terms of my own, um, what? Joie de vivre. Just just the thrill of living. Yep. Uh, Visiting other cultures, being around other people, Uh, music things, obviously. There's mainly people, actually, cultures, you know. I've been to Japan so many times. The Japs are so hip. Ooh. They're so hip with with uh, contemporary music stuff too. 
So, yeah, travel's a big one here. And we're all travellers. Yeah. You're from across the pond. Yeah. I'm, I'm from down the, down the Hume Highway. Yeah. So it's good. You know, music, and look at, look at a guy like Tommy, going back to him. Travel. Does he travel? Mm. He'd be one of the most travelled people on the whole planet. Yeah, right. Think about that. Think how many times he's been around the globe. Yeah. So there's a definite dynamic that uh, for the modern musician, travelling, whether it's locally or, or internationally or both, it goes with the territory, no pun intended, doesn't it? Yeah. Just you're playing in different places all the time. You're not playing at home. Yeah. So I, I love that dynamic. I really do. I, few things thrill me more than getting on a plane and going to another city, uh, especially to do a show. Yeah. You know, I really love that. And, you know, simple thing maybe, but these are the kind of things that thrilled me 40 years ago and I'm still getting off on it, so... That's great. I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel the slightest bit... I don't mind, I don't mind telling my age. I'm 60, bloody 40 years of age. <clears throat> I feel absolutely as, as intrigued and beguiled and thrilled by, by what I do in music now as I did 40 years ago. Yep. Pretty good, isn't it? That's bloody good. I never ever feel, you know what? I'm a bit over this. Yeah. I I do get tempted to think that hauling gear out of the manly boat shed at <laughs> quarter to two in the morning, I'm a little bit over that. The physical stuff sometimes is 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 not fun. The trying to get a car parked, the the, 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 the navigating in and out of buildings. I never ever turn up with one keyboard. I always have a rig. I have stuff. I have a lot of stuff, and uh, you know I insist on that. And I, it's sometimes it's hard. Yep. That bit's hard. Yeah. But hey, uh, it's over and done with pretty quickly. Yeah. It's not a big deal. I think it's it's so important to keep perspective on that. You know. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. And, and so, being being grateful, you know. Yeah. Just being grateful. Indeed. To if you can if you can say that you do this, even as a on a semi-professional basis, you need to be grateful for that. You know. It has changed. It, it it you can't dance around from the truth. It has changed from from the old days. It is definitely more difficult now. To, to be a, a professional musician than it was uh, certainly in Sydney, Australia, Melbourne, Australia 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I think we've all established that. Yeah. I think no one's pretending that, that it's otherwise. Mm -hmm. But you, you can do okay. You can get by. You've got to be pretty crafty and you've yeah. got to figure out how to keep yourself busy and occupied and entertained. You've got to be diverse. You've got to do a lot of things. Yeah. I just said today, a mate of mine, you know, how did it, how did it get to that, that I've got to be a video editor, a graphics guy, uh, a, an audio engineer, I've got to be about seven different hats yep. and varying levels of skill. Yep. You've got to do so many different things to yep. keep your, 
keep your thing. Yep. Well, simple answer. Enjoy it all, figure it out, and be grateful we've got the toys to do this exactly, stuff. Exactly right. You know? Exactly right. That's all. Yeah. It's been great, Stevie. Sam, that was awesome, man. And I think um, for what you're saying, besides maybe the physical stuff, perhaps the best is yet to come. Hey, I don't want to Skype, but I'm, I'm having a damn good time at the moment. <laughs> Seriously. No, no, it's I, I'm feeling so good about the things that I'm doing. The people that I work with are just magnificent. I yep. just love them so much. I, I don't know. We don't know the future. I could yep. go under a bus tomorrow. Yep. The bus goes out the front of you. Yep. You know? yep. If I should go under a bus, then hopefully I'll be remembered for some good work. I, you just... You just I, I know people people dig me, I, I feel I feel acknowledged. I, I don't I don't hanker for acknowledgement. And I'm, that's lucky. Yeah. I really love that fact. I, I feel really grateful for that. So we'll just keep going. Awesome. We'll just keep doing the best we can. Cheers, Sam. You got it. Thanks, Thanks for having me, Stevie. Cheers, bud.